0: and call 1-888-FREEDOM or
1: visit ConsumerCellular.com.
2: Savings based on cost of Consumer cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid and limited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024 APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
1: Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Warning, you're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save America with your host, Sean Parnell.
0: hey everybody welcome to battleground live it has been a while since we last talked to each other or hung out with one another and i have to tell you it's great to be back um i don't like taking time off and i i'm still obviously refining on refining the show on how best to do it and how best to engage with you all but you know i know i we we took black friday because we thought you know, hey, it's going to be five o'clock. People are going to be busy in a post Thanksgiving uh, hangover or just trying to relax with their family or maybe they're out shopping. I don't know. Maybe we just thought maybe people wouldn't be around for the 5 p.m. time slot. I think moving forward, we're going to do our best to do the show almost every day. I mean, barring major, major holidays, because I just don't like taking time off. And I like spending time with you all on this show and trying to get the truth out about what's actually happening in this country. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know that in uh, Fort Parnell, we definitely did. And I just want to give props to Commander Melanie. She was she was absolutely amazing during Thanksgiving. Um, She worked so hard for. I feel like what was two weeks leading up to it. And then with more intensity, the week leading up to Thanksgiving and then the two days out, it was, she was just, she just worked so hard, you know, and i cooked for planned, prepared, cooked for 20 plus people, the family and, you know, I just wanted to say she's a superhero to me, you know, went off without a hitch mission accomplished. I think everybody would agree that we had a fantastic Thanksgiving here with, with family and in large part because of her. And so I was, I was thinking about this and how, you know, in life, you know, life is really just so fragile. And, you know, one thing about combat is that it teaches you that when you deal with these life and death situations every single day. You know, I always say to people when talking to my buddies about what it's like going to war, uh, that, that combat is, is kind of amazing in its simplicity, in that the only things that you worry about are life and death. Am I going to live today or am I going to die today? And we went through that for 16 months. And when you live through something like that, it gives you kind of an amazing perspective on life and the fact that I was lucky enough to come home. Uh, but we should tell people who we love how much we appreciate them every day uh, because every, no day is guaranteed. And so I don't think we do that often enough, but I'm very grateful for Commander Melanie. And I know every single person in my family is as well, but I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, just so much has happened over the last few days. And as I was putting together the show today, I was trying to figure out uh, how to dive into it all. But I wanted to talk briefly about uh, what's going on with Derek Chauvin. And of course, Derek Chauvin was a police officer that was put in jail um, because of the death of George Floyd. And thinking back on that incident, I remember thinking, living through it, thinking and watching the police officer with at least a limited footage that the media put out at the time thinking, man, something just doesn't, I mean, this just seems really bad, you know? Um, But as time wore on, as is typically the case with most things, uh, more truth came out about this issue. And of course, Derek Chauvin was convicted and thrown in prison uh, for the death of George Floyd. But new information has emerged on almost a daily basis. I just want to give you an an update, just a sense of like the process here in Reuters. Uh, The Minnesota. This is from Reuters. The Minnesota Court of Appeals in April rebuffed Chauvin's appeal, upholding his conviction and rejecting his request for a new trial. Minnesota's top court in July denied Chauvin's request to review the case, prompting his appeal to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court declined to hear his case. So uh, what here's the crazy thing about all of this. Shortly after his appeal was denied at the Supreme Court, Derek Chauvin was shanked in prison. He was stabbed in prison. Now, apparently uh, he was he was touch and go for a while, but now he's in stable condition. But if we have a, a copy of the autopsy report, yeah, let's just throw it up there. And if you look at it circled at the top, the autopsy report says life threatening, uh, no life threatening injuries identified from Chauvin to uh, George Floyd and the second circle on the bottom shows that he had 11 milliliters of fentanyl and nor- and, and 5.6 milliliters of norfentanyl in his system at the time that he died so if this is true i mean obviously this is true this is the autopsy report and now there are even reports out there. I'm, look, I don't know if, if how much of this is true. So I'm just waiting for the facts to come out. But there are starting to be preliminary reports that the FBI or somebody altered the autopsy report uh, as Chauvin's trial was going on. But, you know, judges are people, too. And you have wonder if it was even possible for Derek Chauvin to get a fair trial because obviously, I mean, you hate, I, 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 I don't like the fact that George Floyd died, but if it wasn't because of Derek Chauvin and Derek Chauvin didn't strangle him to death or you know, put his knee on his neck and cause him to asphyxiate and die. Like we were many of this, all of this country was led to believe on the media. And then in the wake of that, all the riots, both in Minneapolis and all over the country, the Black Lives Matter riots that really, again, rampaged across the country for months. If it wasn't Derek Chauvin, if Derek Chauvin didn't kill him and his death wasn't a result from his injuries, and it's really because he had drugs in his system that caused him to asphyxiate. How can these trial courts, the appellate courts and appeals, how can these appeals be rejected? You know, this is somewhat of a rhetorical question because, in part, I, having been in this system myself, I, I know that these bureaucratic systems, whether it's systems of government or court systems, they, they When they make a mistake, unless the mistake is egregious, they often cover for each other because they don't want to compromise the faith that people have in the actual system itself, which is why I I cite the example of the VA secret waitlist scandal that happened back in 2014. But before me and several of my colleagues were were able to expose the VA for lying, the VA standard liners, we don't don't have secret waitlists. So you see my point. Bureaucracies. They, they, when they're attacked from the outside, often circle their wagons to protect each other, which is why it's so difficult to reform government. Well, these the trial court, appellate court, Supreme Court, they're kind of the same way. To admit an error at an appellate court level is to mean that the actual judge in the trial court was wrong and judges sort of all take care of each other. They don't like to do that again unless the mistake is egregious. But also the, the – <laughs> The, the heckler's veto, so to speak, all of these violent mobs and these protests that destroyed cities and killed people. You gotta wonder how many of these judges watched that on, watched that happen, Republican or Democrat, and said, you know what, I, if I rule a certain way, they're going to riot and burn down cities again. So it's just easier for me personally And and my family and my community, if I just denied it, deny the appeal altogether. And and that's super concerning. But the Democrats use this stuff all the time. And I'm reminded as I as I talk about this, when I challenged. 2020 election. Now, again, I didn't allege voter fraud. I didn't mention anything in my lawsuits about voting machines. I challenged the the constitutionality of the law with case law going all the way back to the Civil War. I mean, this this lawsuit was airtight. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court dismissed it with prejudice uh, on standing. They didn't even take it up on, on the merits at all. When we finally got a case on the merits in the Commonwealth Court, we won. But I, that's not why I'm telling you all this. I'm telling you this because typically in a lawsuit, and I am just having run two campaigns and, and had these election lawsuits in front of the courts, I can tell you how this works. It, it, the defendants in a case, in this case, the state of Pennsylvania, who are defending their election in 2020, you're supposed to lead in these, in, in these responses to these lawsuits with your most powerful constitutional argument. But the state, when I filed this election lawsuit, me and and Congressman Mike Kelly and several other people from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, when the state responded to our lawsuit, they did not respond with a constitutionally rigorous argument. To the contrary, what they did was reply with essentially the heckler's veto. In other words, if... If the court rules in the favor of the plaintiffs and does say that this law is unconstitutional and therefore every ballot cast underneath it is unconstitutional, it will cause mass chaos and rioting. That was their very first argument. And it's not a legal one. It should not hold any weight in the court. Judges, both Democrat and Republican, should just reject it because it's again, it's not a legal argument. But it works because, again, judges are people, too. So I'm just saying, you know, it's scary to me that Derek Chauvin is still in prison with this new evidence that, that emerged, but ultimately, I guess, not surprising because we live in a country that doesn't put facts first. They put narrative first and. It's just something that's scary, so I felt I wanted to talk to you about that. So if those of you all who have been with me for the first you know, 15 minutes of the show, make sure you like this program. It matters a lot. Rumble notices that stuff. The more it's noticed, the more likely it is that we get advertisers. Make sure you subscribe to Battleground Live because that matters, too. It is and will always be free, and it's a show for you. It uh, will always be for you. We're building a community he- here, folks, to save this country um, because <laughs> – If not now, when, if not us, then who, right? Uh, it's got to be us. And so so make sure you subscribe to this program. I uh, also want to thank Deepwell Services and Cabot Guns. They're both the founding sponsors of this program. This show would not be possible without those two great American companies. Both are hiring. They've got locations all across the country. Uh, go to deepwellservices.com. Tell them that Sean Parnell sent you over. Uh, Cabot Guns makes the best 1911 pistols in the country. Go to their website. Check them out. <laughs> They're, I've got an, a Cabot 1911 pistol. They truly are amazing. Um, okay, let me just move on real quick because I got a lot to talk about, and I've only got an hour. Um, there was an article in Business Insider, and so much of what I've talked to you about over the last, you know, couple of months is how the left is slowly ratcheting up their rhetoric with regards to Trump. They've tried everything. To, to destroy this man's legacy, to destroy his personal fortune, to destroy his chances of getting on the ballot in certain states. Now, of course, we know now, as of today, the Colorado lawsuit uh, to kick him off the ballot was dismissed. Even this left wing judge kicked, you know, dismissed it just today before the show. Uh, the judge threw the case out in Rhode Island as well that would have taken Trump off the ballot. So people aren't buying these legal arguments. But the left has tried everything to take out Trump, and now they're slowly ratcheting up what is violent, what I, I think is, is violent rhetoric, uh, or at least would be construed by these radical, commie, mouth-breathing whack jobs as dog whistles for violence against Trump. And frankly, it's concerning, and I worry about the man. Um, I worry about his family, and I worry about his health, because d- despite withering resistance and one hoax after the next in lawfare conducted against this man, the likes of which really no one else in this country can possibly fathom, you know, how he takes this stuff and continues to put one step or one foot in front of the other in fighting for this country. I I don't know. Um, it's truly remarkable that he can take this stuff and continue, continue on. Um, but, The rhetoric of the left is concerning, and now the media is getting in on it, too. So this Business uh, Insider article is here's what happens. Here's the title of it. Here's what happens if Donald Trump dies while running in the 2024 election. I am sick and tired of this rhetoric. I don't think that there is. I'm tired of people excusing violence against Trump. I'm tired of the media Trying to shape public sentiment about the death of Trump. Can you imagine, you know, Trump's family reading these articles and how they process them? I mean, Joe Biden. Yes, there are questions about his age. Yes, there are questions about his cognitive ability. There were about Trump as well, even though Trump and Biden are not the same (laughs) at all. Biden, again, is a walking corpse. Trump is sharp as hell. Uh, He's got an extraordinary memory. Um, He's (laughs) a guy is an extraordinary golfer. Um, But it's just I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of it. And it is, and if it continues to go on, it ratcheting up this basically excuse for violence and talking about the death of President Trump, bad things are going to happen. And I'm afraid that in 2024, something is going to happen. And I don't know what that is, but something that's something is going to happen that's going to be significant. And again, I don't know what it is, but I think that you all should be ready Be prepared, protect yourself and your family uh, for whatever life throws at you, whatever this system throws at you, because 2024 is going to be crazy. And the reason why I think that is, is of course, everything I just told you about the left ratcheting up their violence against Trump, but also because I think in their heart of hearts, they're afraid that if Trump gets back into office, that it's, it's not even necessarily his policies that scare the radical left. I think that they believe that Trump is going to do to them what they've done to him, because that's exactly what they would do. And I think they're afraid that Trump knows more now, that he understands the system more now, and that makes him dangerous. And no, that does not mean that Trump is going to get an office and be an autocrat and be a dictator or anything like that. But I do know for a fact, and I've heard Trump talk about this, about the importance of holding federal agencies accountable for their actions. For example, the Department of Justice should not be weaponized against political opponents. January 6 grandmas who were thrown in prison for unlawful parading shouldn't get 10 years in jail, while simultaneously excusing the actions of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and other leftists who don't share the same political perspective, but did things that were far, far worse. I know for a fact that Uh, that Trump intends to right the ship in that way. And again, I think the left is afraid of that. I think that they're afraid of a Trump who is going into a second term, who has nothing to lose, but understands the system a hell of a lot better than he did the first time. Because remember, folks, President Trump in his first term, he came from New York City. He worked with Democrats his entire career and did extraordinary things. I mean, he reshaped the skyline of New York City by working with both Republicans, independents, Democrats. He didn't care. And I know that when he came into office, he thought that the state itself, the deep state, these entrenched bureaucrats would say, okay, we've got a new commander in chief. You know, Even though maybe I backed Biden, I'm all in for Trump now. We're going to do whatever we can to support him. No, that wasn't the case. And I've made this this point before. But I think one of the biggest mistakes of the Trump presidency was that he did not clean house at these federal agencies and fire at least the top 10 people in every federal agency that that's in Washington inside the Beltway. Because look, that's not an extreme position. Barack Obama did that. Like nobody gave Barack Obama issues when he did that. It's It's the president has the power and authority to do it. Trump didn't do it because he believed that he could work across the aisle for the betterment of America. Let me tell you, folks, that that, Trump doesn't believe that anymore. Trump. He he knows the score of the game and he he knows exactly what he's going to do when he gets back in the Oval Office. But it's it should scare everybody uh, about this violent rhetoric that is sort of centering around the Trump presidency that they the Democrats have tried. They've thrown everything at this man, but the kitchen sink and nothing is working. So what's next? And that's what I'm afraid of. Uh, OK, so let's I got to talk to you about this um, Bill Maher, Oliver Stone conversation. I'm not sure if any of you all have seen that, but it's fascinating to me because I think it's a conversation between two leftists, left coast, elitist leftists, Bill Maher, who who is coming around, you know, I he's still a crazy leftist, but he's coming around on some things. And I think he's starting to wake up. To the authoritarian bent of the left, which is concerning, you know, we talked on the show about, um, you know, I never thought in my lifetime that the parties would essentially flip with regards to how we view the government. As a kid, the Republicans by and large supported the government, supported, you know, supported government initiatives, supported the I mean, I supported the war in Afghanistan and Iraq early on. My position has since changed after seeing how much the government has lied Uh, But the left back in the day, you know, with these with these hippies and, you know, the civil rights movement in the 60s and these hippies and the protests against the Vietnam War, the left was always the party that said F you to the government. Now, now, now the left is the party of government. They're the party of Hollywood celebrities. They're the party of ivory tower academics in college. They're the party of of uh, bootlicking government loving people. And I never thought I'd see that day, but here we are. But the reason why this conversation with Bill Maher and Oliver Stone is so interesting is because they're both leftists. They both believe. I think that the left is starting to take an authoritarian bent on many of the things that they do. I think Oliver Stone, look, I'll set this up by saying I, Oliver Stone and I likely don't agree on anything politically. Uh, But I do appreciate the fact that he is clearly waking up and has the ability to think for himself. I can't say that completely about Bill Maher yet, although I do think he's trending in the right direction. But I want you to watch this clip where Oliver Stone is talking to Bill Maher about the 2020 election. Check this out. And they, they really said, no, you can't take Ivermectin or whatever and the other things. So it's it's the law, the concept of authoritarian government that is really bothering me. And I think it bothers you, this authoritarian. <laughs> yes, of course, Biden. From. Uh, That's OK. We should have one. We should have a clip about the election. Right. Do we got one? Should be hey, sorry, we up. got four, so I'm trying to figure out which one it is. It should be, it's, I don't know, it should be the first one uh, in the rundown.
3: Yeah, that was,
0: hmm.
3: let me let me play the next
0: one, let me know. Sorry about okay. it, it would, well, that. How, I don't know, I mean, how, you went through the 2000 election, that was horrifying to me, what happened when the Supreme Court closed that down. You know, what happened there? I mean, you know, the popular vote was won so by... What should we... Nope. Wrong one. Okay. Sorry. Well, John. we're just, um, do we got it? Let me keep looking. You talk. I'll let you know if I got it. Okay. All right. Sorry for this folks. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Trump is having a car con- or, or we, we have Oliver Stone having a conversation with Bill Maher and Oliver Stone clearly does not believe that the 2020 election was, was legitimate. And what's interesting about this is that Bill Maher doesn't doesn't respond or ask why he believes what he believes. He just immediately responds to the fact that, oh, come on, these are conspiracy theories. Oh, come on. Every court in the country taken up by like 60 some courts. And every almost every court in the country has every court in the country has denied the declined to take up these, these election cases. And, and even though none of that's true, you know, all, all that was happening was that Bill Maher is taking state talking points that were issued by our government that, that, that are clearly not true because most of the cases that were taken up by, by that were taken up. Well, most of the, most of the Trump election cases that were, Brought to the courts were not evaluated on the merits. In fact, uh, I think Trump uh, the, on the, of the cases that were taken up on the merits, Trump won like 30 of them. Okay, but the vast majority of cases, including mine, especially early on, were dismissed on standing. So they were never actually evaluated on the merits. So but you see, Bill Maher, instead of asking Oliver Stone uh, about why, about why. He, he believes what he believes. He just pivots to calling him a conspiracy theorist. And here's the thing. Oliver Stone is on to something with regards to the 2020 election. I talk about it often on the show. But but you it's the first time we've ever rolled out mass mail in ballots in our country's history. The likelihood that it going off without a hitch is extraordinarily rare. In fact, it will it it. it it likely, it likely did obviously did not go off without a hitch. Every single person who's watching this show knows that there were issues with the 2020 election. We had Mark Zuckerberg investing over 400 million dollars, okay? 400 million dollars into private Dropbox private Dropboxes uh th- th- that were funded in primarily heavily heavily democrat areas. You eat now we know that Sam Bankman-Fried who like was funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars radical democrats. I mean it's crazy to me. You have these Democrats who are changing voting laws in all the critical swing states. It's absolutely crazy to me that people can look at the 2020 election and think that it was great. And and later in the conversation with Bill Maher. Um, you have Bill Maher when he was he was trying to refute it, saying it was conspiracy theory that all these these cases were dismissed. You actually have Bill Maher saying that you have lock, stock and barrel Republicans like Bill Barr and Mitch McConnell and all of these other people that said, well, uh, of course, the election wasn't stolen. Well, what are these what are all of these things? What do all these people have in common? All these, quote, Republicans have in common. They all despise President Trump. They all wanted him out of office. None of them wanted to see what a, a second Trump term looked like. And so I think we have the clip now, but play it because I think it's remarkable. If we have it, let's play it. No, um, I'm looking at the timestamps and nothing lines up. Sean. I'm still looking. I'm sorry. OK, never mind. We'll just we'll just move on. Um. So so let's just move on to the do we have can we move on to the to B block? OK, we'll just move on to B block. So so one of the things that that Bill Maher and and uh, Oliver Stone talked about was it was, again, what I appreciate with Oliver Stone was that he seems to think for himself. And this is what I think is just lacking in in America right now. You know, all throughout my life, I was taught to think for myself regardless of what type of teacher I had, whether left wing or right wing, my parents always told me, Sean, you've got to think for yourself, make sure you read, make sure you do your own research, never believe what people actually tell you, think for yourself, do the research on your own and, and, and then make an informed decision. But what's so concerning about many on the left is that they don't do that anymore. The the critical thinking on the left and on many, and, and frankly, Of many in the establishment right, they they don't think for themselves anymore, which is why I think it's so, which is why I think this ultimately Trump faces resistance from those on the right as well. Because remember when I told you that bureaucracies don't like to change, I think it's because you know, you have these Republicans that are used to the status quo, that are drinking from the same trough as Democrats. This is where the, the, the whole concept and theory of the uniparty comes from. Well, it's because Republicans, they, they've lived in the system for so long, they expect a certain politician to be a certain way and do the same things as them and just to continue business as usual. But the problem is it, our country is is perilously balanced on a knife's edge. And and this is why I say it's so important that we find and elect Republicans who know what time it is, who know and understand that this country is on the line, that we can't do business as usual anymore. And what people, Republicans who are unafraid of fighting back who aren't looking to ingratiate themselves with the media, who, who seriously see what the Democrats are talking about and push back with them with every fiber of their being, because the Democrats, all they do is lie brazenly and expect the media to cover for them. So if we've got the the video of Eric Swalwell, we talk about, I've talked often about how president Trump set the tone, uh, For I mean, you know, when President Trump was running, everybody said, oh, my God, President Trump has his finger over the nuclear button. He's going to be a crazy whack job madman. And of course, we all know that that was a complete and total lie. Um, President Trump was the greatest peacetime president of my lifetime. In fact, he's the only outside of Robert Kennedy. He's the only candidate on the Republican side talking about the pursuit of peace. I think it's important that we judge leaders through that th- with that lens and, and, and look at them through that prism. But listen to what Eric Swalwell trots out in this interview about Trump and what a second Trump term would be like. Let's go ahead and roll the tape.
3: Would you like to see the United States doing more to pressure Prime Minister Netanyahu to take more steps to reduce civilian casualties?
0: Yes. And, I, well, first, President Biden has done that. And I also like to step back uh, when I see some of the heat President Biden is taking and think, what would the alternative be? If Donald Trump was re-elected or if Donald Trump was president at this time, can you imagine what the scenario would be in the Middle East? It would probably be the United States and Israel in a World War III-like scenario with Iran, Hezbollah— and and Hamas. President Biden has not sent a single American into the conflict, but he is now pulling American hostages out of the conflict. We're supporting Israel. We're getting aid uh, into the region. So far, we've held off other enemies of Israel and America. That's why President Biden was elected, and that's why I think he needs to be given, you know, the room uh, to negotiate. You know, what is ultimately a resolution to this conflict. You know, what's crazy to me about that is, first of all, Eric Swalwell, you know, banged a Chinese spy. So we should not listen to anything that he has to say, because it's clearly true that this crazy mouth breather is compromised in almost every way, shape and form. The guy had sex with a Chinese spy named Fang Fang. And what's crazy is that this seems to be a common occurrence, not banging Chinese spies, but being compromised by foreign powers, a common occurrence on the Democrat left, whether it's Dianne Feinstein being driven around by a, a, a Chinese spy for 20 years or or Joe Biden taking millions and millions of dollars from countries who hate us, you know, millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party, who is the number one geopolitical foe. Uh, being compromised by hostile foreign powers seems to be something that happens often on the left. But here he is lying to a so-called journalist on MSNBC about Trump being able – causing World War III and imagine if this scenario was unfolding under Trump. Here's what Swalwell – I mean I I don't know if he needs to know this or not, because he I don't know if he's actually lying or actually believes the things that he believes. I mean, I, I happen to think that Swalwell is a liar. Uh but but Trump, this situation would have not happened under President Trump. The the war in Ukraine would have not happened under President Trump. Like we killed terrorists under President Trump. Our enemies feared us under President Trump. So the idea that Trump would cause World War III with this comportment and his demeanor, should he occupy the Oval Office, nobody should believe this. Even lock, stock and barrel, card-carrying Democrats, they have to know in their heart of hearts that that life was better under Trump. The world was by and large a peaceful place under Trump. Four years of peace, again, the historic Abraham Accords. <laughs> I mean, it's like our enemies didn't mess with the United States of America when President Trump was president. Yet you get zero pushback from these these anchors on MSNBC, and you have to wonder how they live with themselves at night. I mean, it really is inexcusable to me. It's 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 a dereliction of duty in almost every way because Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, all of these people were petrified. Of Donald Trump when he was in the Oval Office. I'm reminded of the Iranian hostage scandal. Uh, Iran took a bunch of American hostages. Jimmy Carter was president. Iran played, you know, basically played F around games with the United States while Jimmy Carter was president because they did not fear him and they did not respect him. They knew that he wouldn't follow through on any of his actions. They, they knew that he was weak. Yet the day I think the day President Reagan was inaugurated, Iran released all of the hostages. Leadership in this regard matters, and the world does not respect Joe Biden at all. Yet again, the Democrat gaslighting that happens in this country on a day-to-day basis is simply unbelievable. And it didn't just stop with Eric Swalwell. I've been talking about morning Joe with Micah and Joe, and I've been talking about them, I feel like, a lot on this show. But they addressed Biden's age very recently. And again, All of us know that Joe Biden is a mouth breather. All of us know that he's an animated corpse, that if you just go back and watch videos of Joe Biden debating Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan was the vice president running with Mitt Romney. I mean, that debate to me, I remember watching it live. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a great debate. Ultimately, I think Joe Biden got the best of Paul Ryan in that debate because but go watch it. Look at Joe Biden's demeanor. Look at his comportment. Look at how much more articulate he was. And that was what? The nine years ago. Joe Biden is a shell of his former self. His age is clearly a concern, not just for Republicans, but for the vast majority of Democrats who are afraid of what Joe Biden would look like on the campaign trail. And you know my theory about this. I I don't know that Joe Biden is going to be the guy in 2024. I think what's going to end up happening is the Democrats are going to have somebody selected. They're going to roll somebody out new at the convention. Biden's going to get out of the race and he's going to blame Republicans for, you know, one, family issues and needing to take care of his family and and and, and take care of Hunter or two, some health issue and wanting to spend time with his in his family and his in his old age. Uh, and the Democrats are going to have somebody preselected and they're going to roll whoever that person is out at the convention. Because that would, one, limit like what the actual base of the Democrat Party, it would limit their ability to – to have input on who that person would be. And it would allow the Democrats to control the process completely. Because remember, not only do Democrats cheat in general elections, they rig their own primaries, which is why the, the talking points about the 2020 election, about it being the freest, bestest, fairest selection of all time are completely ridiculous. Because if the Democrats rig their own primaries, what do you think they do in a general election in precincts and in counties that they completely control? Of course, they would cheat. They've done it. They're in They've done it for the last 50 years. But check this segment out about uh, uh, on Morning Joe with <laughs> about talking about Biden's age and try not to let it diminish your IQ by a good 10 points. Go ahead and roll the tape. Said it before. I'll say it again. We've Got a guy in there who's more equipped to do this and is more successful in doing this than any president since Bush 41. And there's a reason both of those guys, both of those men, both of those presidents got into office with decades of experience in diplomacy, and it makes a difference.
3: A lot of people say Biden's age is a factor, and you're damn right it is. Um, with his age wisdom, experience. He's not afraid to put himself out there. He knows it all could fall apart, but he's got guts, and he's unafraid. And that's what makes him an effective negotiator, effective at diplomacy. This is his second uh, war that he has actually visited the country in the middle of a hot war in his presidency. This president has made history on so many levels and the stupidity of the conversations about his age, when right now, age is absolutely a factor in these negotiations. I wouldn't want anybody else doing it.
0: I mean, look, this is... Absolutely ridiculous. The idea that Joe Biden has, he's, guy's been in office for 50 years, folks. The idea that that time in office has prepared him for any of this stuff as president is ridiculous. The guy spent 50 years, 40 years in the United States Senate, which is by and large a legislative position. Zero executive experience required to be a legislator. The guy's never been a leader. He's been a liar his entire career. He has ever like literally every aspect of who this man is, is built on a lie. None of that has has led him to a point where he can possibly have the wherewithal or the leadership responsibility or leadership experience in his life to lead this country, that the man is an abject disaster and the very the very idea that Joe and Micah can say he's visited too hot war zone, is the only president to do that, and he's say, made history and blah, blah. These are wars that started because of his weakness. It's absolutely crazy to me that people on the media, I mean, there's no way, again, there's no way Lock, stock and barrel, card carrying Democrats watch that segment and are swayed to believe that, yes, Joe Biden is somehow a master, a, a, somehow a diplomatic genius, that Joe Biden somehow brings, after 50 years in Washington, some sort of magical ability to, to tame situations that are out of control. In fact, the op nothing could be further from the truth. The opposite is true. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, speaking of living in the upside down or in a world that's completely gone crazy, um, we talk about Thanksgiving and and everything that, that how much things cost, right? Uh, Melanie and I were talking about this. Um, you know, we're we're a family that that lives paycheck to paycheck, um, and I feel like the vast majority of politicians in Washington don't know what that's like. Um, or, may, you know, I think very few actually do. I mean, Biden is he's made millions since he's been in office. I think Diane Feinstein's is worth something like 90 some million dollars, despite making 174 thousand dollars a year. Uh, but my point is, is that we're one of these people that that my family lives paycheck to paycheck. We've got five kids, five kids can be expensive and we've seen how much. Things cost today. And I think Melanie is brilliant when she says, every time I go to the grocery store, a hundred bucks fills the cart up less. And and that's so true. Um, But one of the things, and we talked about this in the live chat, um, I think Newt and I did, or somebody, we were talking about it in the live chat about how it just pisses us off to no end that, you know, with Christmas on the way, first of all, how Biden is like the Grinch who stole Christmas because Bidenomics is such an abject disaster. But also when Biden, the Biden administration says like, oh, hey, um, a- a- the economy is absolutely great. Um, so if we've got that clip of KJP, do we have the clip of KJP talking about families seeing lower prices? If we do, can we go ahead and roll the tape? Do you want the original one from the notes, or the one you sent right before the show? Well, I'm going to do both. The one, the, the one that we're in the original notes and the one I sent Um after yeah so here's the here's the one from the note. okay uh
3: this holiday season families are seeing lower prices on everyday items from gas to groceries as holiday as holiday shopping starts shelves are stocked and prices prices for toys tvs and used vehicles are all down from last year and we just saw record black friday sales
0: Record Black Friday sales. What's funny is that we were just talking in the live chat as somebody who watches the show, wife works in retail, uh, was sent home early because Black Friday just wasn't doing the business that it had done in the past and they just didn't need the extra help, which is crazy. Um, And it's insulting to the American people. It's insulting to me, right? It's insulting to Melanie. It's insulting to my family. When the Biden administration is saying that we're seeing lower costs, we're not seeing lower costs. It costs an arm and a leg to host Thanksgiving dinner, to buy food for Thanksgiving dinner. It costs an extraordinary amount of money. When Melanie and I were doing our budget this month, I think we had to, to like adjust our budget to spending $1,000 on groceries a month, 1000 a Like Every time we go to Sam's Club, uh, it costs like $500. 500 bucks. And we're not going and buying TVs and stuff. We're buying the basics. We're buying food. And, and this is the reason why we're experiencing this is because of the Biden administration's reckless economic policies, not just with regards to his his love of spending and a seamlessly endless money printing, but with his terrible economic policies. For a long, for a very long time in this country, the, the hedge against inflation was the fact that we were, the, the petrodollar, the fact that America has an overabundance of natural resources right under our feet. And under the Trump administration, we became energy independent for the first time in my lifetime by tapping into those resources. That's why gas prices were so low. That's why food prices were low. And if you think about it, you know, when it costs less to produce the food, it costs less to ship the food. It costs less to store the food. Money, your, your dollar goes farther because the economy is strong and those savings are passed off to the American consumer, to the American consumer who are buying the food in the grocery stores. All of these things add up. The Trump, whether it's it, it, the Biden administration has created this crazy constellation of, of just shit. When it comes to our economy, we're experiencing economic decline right now, even though nobody in the media is actually talking about it. But what, what's happening is, is you have uh, these economic numbers that, that that all of these government institutions are putting out. They they seem fine, and then two months later, they're they're revised down. And so the numbers that we're getting that even the data about our economy are just lies from the government as well. Um, but, but it doesn't just stop there. Peter Ducey, who's one of the few people on the White House press corps who's actually asking uh, really great questions and holding this administration's feet to the fire, um, asked a great question to KJP. If we have that, let's go ahead and roll it. But why do you think it is that when you say the economy is improving, and President Biden says the economy is improving, that a majority of Americans outside of this building are not buying it?
3: So here's the thing. When we walked into this administration, the economy was on a tailspin. That is the fact. Because of the last administration— because of the Trump administration, because of how they dealt with uh, dealt with COVID and the pandemic, because they didn't have a comprehensive plan. The president came in, he passed the American Rescue Plan, which was able to get the economy back on its feet, which was able to open up. Small businesses, small businesses were able to open up. Schools were able to open up. And we understand what Americans have been feeling over the last two, three years. It's going to take some time. We get that. It's going to take some time. But it does not take away how we have seen the economy getting back on its feet. We actually had to fix the problem that we saw that the last administration
0: left us. Can you believe that? So it's Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. The reason why the economy sucks right now, even though we've been in office for three years, is Trump. It's, so, like, it's isn't it unbelievable to me how the uh, unbelievable to you how these Democrats lie and, and no every freaking hand in that press corps should have shot up demanding to ask follow on questions. Well, hey, you know, I, I think that when Joe Biden took office. COVID was at its peak. This country was still locked down. Schools were still closed. Family members were still dying alone. Uh, The the Biden administration walked into office and started forcing vaccine mandates on the American people. The people who didn't get the vaccine walked away from their jobs, which hurt our employment numbers. (laughs) Like they're at the KJP in that segment is such a brazen, disgusting liar that she's Actually claiming credit for reopening schools when it was the Democrats and the school unions and Randy Weigarten who shut them down in the first place. These people have no shame. And I look, I don't think that any of this stuff is gonna matter. Um I think that the American people, again, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't think it matters. I think that Americans are feeling it in their bank account. Every time they go to their grocery store, they feel the pain. Every time they fill up their car or their truck, they feel the pain. Every time they look at their 401k, they feel the pain. And this is where it leads to the dynamic that we're going into in 2024, where you have two, repu- two incumbent presidents for the first time in American history— running against one another. Both have 100% name ID and both have very clear records. And I think at the end of the day, when people go into that voting booth and yes, it's it's a little under a year out, but when people go into that voting booth, they're going to say very they're going to look at Biden and they're going to look at Trump and they're going to say that my life was better under Donald Trump and they're going to pull the lever for him. I mean, I ultimately I think this is why Trump is just rising in the in the polls in a meteoric fashion. Um, So, I mean, it's 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 just just keep an eye on that because and bookmark this because you bet that this is this is what it's going to be like going into 2024. That's what the American people are paying attention to. They're not paying attention to this ridiculous Biden propaganda. Um, Okay, let me just pivot quickly to the Republican Party. We don't have that much time left. Got about five minutes. Um, But there have been major warning signs about the Republican party, namely the RNC. I mean, nobody trusts the Republican national committee anymore with Ron and McDaniel at, at the head. I'm not trying to pile on Ron and McDaniel. I'm not trying to attack Ron and McDaniel, but the, the Republicans are the party of gentlemen losers. And I'm tired of that. I want to win. And I think by and large, Ron and McDaniel as the leader of the Republican National Committee. I think that it's time for her to kind of exit stage right. Um, But there's this article out in the Washington Post today that says donations to GOP drop as worries mount about the party's financing. So the Republican National Committee has $9.1 million cash on hand. Now, that might seem like a lot. But when you're dealing with trying to fund and help candidates in every state in the country, both in the House and in the Senate, and look with an eye on gubernatorial races, $9 million is not a lot. The Democrats have over twice that in in the DNC. So – this is really not a good thing at all. This is a major, 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 major red flag going into an election year when everything in our country is on the line. And we talked about this speaker fight. And look, ultimately, we got Mike Johnson, who is is a conservative speaker. Would I rather had Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House? Yeah. Um, I don't think that that infighting was good for our party. I don't think that that infighting has been I don't think the donors have have received that well because it gives donors a sense that the Republican Party doesn't have their act together. And if Republicans don't have their act together in Congress, how are we going to win at the ballot box? But the small another big red flag is that the Republican National Committee small dollar program isn't performing well at all. And you know, large dollars raising money from rich people is great, but really the small dollar donors are what. <sighs> It's how people judge enthusiasm. And if Republicans aren't giving small dollar donations, it means that our country is not that enthused about funding a Republican party. And this goes back to what Rich Barris and I talk about a lot is that the Republican Party, the establishment wing of the party doesn't represent their base well, and in fact, reviles their base in many ways. And that is proving to be very problematic as we roll into the most important election of our lifetime. Now, this is according to Scott Pressler, but the frustration at the RNC reached a boiling point after November 2023 losses, especially when it was revealed that VA GOP chairman Rich Anderson asked the RNC for funding and he was denied money. So, and also the, the Republican National Committee are the ones that are responsible for setting up these debates uh, that have historically low ratings, like unbelievably low ratings. Uh, Ron and McDaniel even scheduled debates during the uh, Country Music Association Awards where that would clearly siphon away uh, viewers that would normally watch a Republican debate. And the fact that Trump isn't on the stage with people, I mean, it just crushes the ratings. Um, but I think part of the reason why you talk about, small dollar donors and our party not our party, not representing our base. Well, is, is there just one? I just think they're so out of touch Two, They don't like the base. They think they're smarter than the base. They think they're more refined than the base. I don't know what it is, but it's clearly a sense of ego that is getting in the way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the root cause is, but Mitt Romney said something in an interview on the mainstream media this weekend about about how he looked at the 2024 race. And I think this is exactly the reason why Republicans are questioning the direction of the Republican Party. And I'll explain why in a second, but go ahead and roll the tape.
2: Who do you like in the Republican field?
0: Uh, Anybody. Um, You know, I I would uh, I'd be happy to support virtually any one of the Republicans, maybe not Vivek, but uh, but the others that are running would would be acceptable to me. And I'd be happy to vote for them. I'd be happy to vote for a number of the Democrats, too. I mean, would be an upgrade from, in my opinion, from uh, Donald Trump and and perhaps also from uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Look, I like uh, President Biden. Um, uh, You know, I, I find him a very charming engaging person. There's some places I agree with him, but most places
3: I disagree with him. Uh, I think he's made all sorts of terrible mistakes,
0: but uh, I, I would like to see someone else run. How is Mitt Romney, and I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but how is Mitt Romney one of the, well, how is he in the United States Senate as a Republican? How he ran for president as a Republican is beyond me, because here is a guy that is a Republican, a so-called conservative that said that he would vote for a Democrat. These people are destroying our country, the Democrats. He would vote for a Democrat before Trump? He would vote for a Democrat before Vivek? Why? Because they don't pick, they don't fit the mold of what you want, like a typical gentleman loser? I mean, trust me, listen, folks, go watch this documentary on Netflix called MIT, M-I-T-T. Melanie and I watched that documentary and it blew our mind about how weak Mitt Romney really is. And it gives you an insider look as to why he took some of the positions on the trail that he did, ultimately why he didn't attack Barack Obama when he was debating him. Oh, you can't attack a sitting president. My God, all that is complete bullshit. And you just watch that documentary and you'll see exactly why he lost for president. And it will just make your blood boil because if you're a Republican like me who wants to win, how have people like this ascended into leadership roles in our party who can cons- these people, by the way, consistently undermine our base and the real fighters in Congress every single day. And so this, folks, is why I think small dollar donors, because, of course, Ronnie McDaniel is related to Mitt Romney. I think they largely associated together. And I think Ronnie McDaniel, I'm sure she's a nice person, but I, I, yeah, I, I know she's a, a, a nice person. But come on, uh, this these types of losses would not be tolerated at, at a college or on a professional sports team. Like there's time for accountability, but ultimately this is why, uh, the Republican base has a disconnect from the actual Republican establishment because of people like this. And so if you stuck with us for the hour, I greatly appreciate it. And if you've made it through the full hour, make sure you like this video. It's really, really, really important. Um, make sure you subscribe to battleground live and tell your friends and family also I meant to talk about this at the top, but I forgot, uh, I've, I've, Launched this new thing called Rumble Shorts where I'm posting short form content on Rumble that can be shared and repurposed on your social media. The whole point of that is to defeat the big tech censorship that we as conservatives have to go through on social media. So if you're sharing it with your friends and family, it's easily digestible stuff. 30 60 seconds tops from the show share it on your social media, but you'll see on my rumble page on battleground live, how actual flagship episodes are separated, uh, from the, with, with the short form content all in between. So make sure you like, and you share those as well. Um, share them with your family, share them with your friends, share them on social media. Uh, but as always, thank you for watching the show. we got Drew Berquist coming up next on red voice media. He's a great, awesome conservative. He's on from six to nine. So go check out drew on red voice media, but as always, thank you for being with us for this full hour. We have a kick ass show for you tomorrow. So uh, thank you for tuning in. God bless you all. And God bless this exceptional nation that we call home. Take care.